I'm just giving you time to think about those, those words <laughs> and who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's good to, good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, we are in the second part of a two-week series called God and Country, as, as many of you already know. Um, this has been a series that has been on my heart for a lot of months. I think it was back in January during some of the primary debates and things that I'm like, you know what? I think come November 8th, or at least the weeks leading up to it, we're going we're gonna to need as a church, I'm going to need as a person, an opportunity to align or realign my feelings and emotions with God's word. Because when our feelings and emotions get out of hand, the only thing that can align them in the way that we have no doubt that it's right is when we align them or realign them with the truth of God's word. And and that's the hope for this short two-part series is to just align our hearts with what God says. And last week, Pastor Matt got us off to a, a great a great start. And if you missed it, uh, as you already most of you already know, you can listen to it online or, or watch it. We're not going to have a chance to recap the whole thing, but I did want to give you a quick summary of what Pastor Matt had had shared with us last week from God's word. And so it's really easy for us, especially in the election season, to put people into categories. It's really easy for us to assume that because a person votes for a certain candidate or aligns themselves with a certain political party, that we know everything there is to know about that person, their morals, their values, what they think about every topic. And The truth is, especially in American politics today, that's just not the case. You know why? Because it's it's complicated. It's complicated. And so last week, Pastor Matt gave us this very easy encouragement based on God's word. He told us to work on putting people before politics. When Jesus was asked to sort of summarize all of the law, he gave people two commands because he knew that we could not as easily remember 10. I'm just kidding. That's not why he did it. But it is easier to remember. He said, love God, love people. Love me, love God, and then love the people of this world. Just two commands. That's it. And so the question is, how do we love people during this political season? And Pastor Matt proposed that one of the ways we do that is by instead of assuming we know all about people based on party lines, we have conversations. Instead of thinking we know all about people, that we listen, that we ask questions. My friends, there are a lot of different topics and a lot of different issues in in this year's election and, frankly, in, in every election, right? And it is very rare that a person votes for a candidate and agrees with every single thing that they're about. I know that for me, for one, that's going to be absolutely impossible this year, okay? And, and I'm guessing it's true for all of you as well, so... How do we act during this season? 
What do we say during this season? What do we post on social media or decide not to post on social media? (laughs) It's probably a better idea. That shows love for people while at the same time reflecting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. The question is this year, right now, how do we put people, God's command, love people, before politics? It's a tough, complicated answer that is different in every situation, but that's what God wants and what Matt put on our hearts last week. So if last week was all about what to do during this season, this week, week two, is all about how to feel during this season. So probably the very first memory I have of a presidential election season when, was, when I was nine or ten years old. And I was riding in the car with my dad, just me and him. I was riding shotgun because they didn't care how old you were at that time in the 80s, and you could sit on the armrest if you wanted, or in the trunk. It really didn't matter. There are no laws about it. So I was sitting in the front. I was sitting shotgun, listening as my dad was listening to talk show radio host. And, and, and he was going through all of the, the reasons why his candidate was the right candidate and how all the reasons why the other candidate was the absolutely wrong candidate. And I don't remember really any details of what was said. I probably wouldn't or couldn't understand it anyway. But here's what I do vividly remember. It's my very first memory of presidential elections. I really hope the guy the talk show host is talking about gets elected Because if he doesn't, I might need to find a new country to live in. Because the way he's talking, come January, the United States may no longer be here. The the feeling, my very first feeling about presidential elections was a feeling of fear. Now, you can just imagine how much more fear I had between November and January because the talk show host guy lost, okay? Now... We might have a spirited conversation about, you know, the state of the United States of America today, but here's what's undeniable to report to you. We're still here, okay? In spite of the fear that I felt because of what the talk show host had to say and the comments that he had, and still today, the single biggest driver of people's actions and people's emotions in the political season is fear. It's fear. Fear of what's going to happen to the economy. Fear of what's going to happen to Social Security or what's going to happen with health care. Fear of how our country is going to be viewed um, by other nations or are the terrorists going to win. Um, Fear of what it's going to mean in our country when it comes to being a Christian and how that could change, potentially. Uh, Fear of, is our country going to be here for our children or our grandchildren? And and guys, make no mistake, um, this is not a a comment or a statement about what side of the line the the media wants to promote. This is not a comment about that at all. But uh, one thing that is undeniable is that headlines that highlight fear get more clicks 
and news media sources want more clicks or more newspapers sold, so they're quite all right with promoting fear. It's almost as if we have two options for November 8th. Either our guy wins, or, or gal, <laughs> or we need to be really, really scared. And what I want to share with you today, I want, you, I want to ask the question, are those really our only two options? Either our guy wins or we're scared. <laughs> what I want to share with you today is that God leaves room for another option, which leads us to our first fill-in-the-blank. If you've got your inserts out, this might be one to take home and take to the family reunion between now and November 8th. I mean, you know, you can just say Pastor Ben said, you know, or whatever. But uncertainty in the future does not need to cause fear in the present. Or uncertainty for the future doesn't need to cause fear in the present. It, it, it certainly might cause concern. I'm not talking about concern. I'm talking about the emotion I had <clears throat> as a 9 or 10-year-old, scared out of my wits, wondering whether the United States is going to implode come January. Scared, wondering if I'm going to survive. And what I'd like to do for the rest of our time together is, is I'd like to show you why this is true, give you two very clear reasons why this is true, and then one action item for what to do when you feel fear popping into your heart between now and November 8th and or whenever it pops into our hearts that emotion of fear. You know, you know how on Jeopardy, when you click a square, they choose a square and the, the sound goes on? It's like, it's the Daily Double, yeah! Well, I just want you to know, you've clicked on the Daily Double because we're going to be looking at two sections of Scripture today instead of one. So that is your blessing, free of charge. You don't have to put anything extra in the offering plate today at all. So the first section is from Psalm 2. These words were written about 3,000 years ago. And it is eerily clear that the state of nations at the time and the state of the world and, in fact, the sometimes motivations of rulers and presidents and kings were almost identical in some ways as they are today. And in this section, David, the writer who himself was a king, gives us I think some great encouragement. Psalm chapter 2. Here's here's the state of nations 2,000 years ago and rulers. I'm sorry, 3,000 years ago. David asked the questions, why do the nations conspire? And, And why do peoples plot in vain? His point here is why do nations and countries and people, why are they up to sinister not godly things? That's that's what's meant there. The kings of the earth, the leaders, rise up. And the rulers of the earth, the ones in power, the ones in control, they band together, and David's musing, he's like, seemingly against the Lord, seemingly against the Lord's will, seemingly against God's commands, and against his anointed, we'll talk more about that in a second, saying, let us break their chains, that is God's chains. Let's get rid of the shackles that God has on us. 
What David's saying is 3,000 years ago, there were people and nations and kings and rulers that deliberately, whether in here deliberately or maybe today we think even maybe ignorantly, that make plans that are against God's will and God's direction and God's commandments. There have always been rulers and governments who have gone against God's will. We don't care about God's way. We don't care about God's direction. In fact, David says they view God's direction like chains. Um, Like God's way won't get me elected. Or God's way is not what the special interests want. Or God's way is not going to get me the power that I want. Or what, but they, whatever it is, they, they viewed God's way as shackles. So when there's governments like this, what does God do? Does, does he get scared and, and nervous and like, Not knowing what to do. I, I, love, I love how God responds. David says, the one enthroned in heaven, he laughs. And not like, you know, funny joke, laugh. Like, he, he laughs because it's so stupid. He, he laughs the way an elephant would laugh if an ant came into the room and tried to take over the elephant, okay? God is God, and he sits on a throne. He has a place of power that is far greater and far higher than any earthly power or earthly ruler. Prime ministers have some power. Kings have some power. Commanders-in-chief have some power. But God's saying, I am the commander-in-chief. I am the one that sits on the throne. I'm in charge. And governments and leaders, compared to me, David says, you're just like ants trying to break free or overcome an elephant. (laughs) David continues, verse 5, the Lord scoffs at them. He he rebukes these nations or or these, these leaders in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king in Zion or on Zion, my holy mountain. Here is a, a clear reference to the king of kings. David is writing about a king who would come you and I now know him as Jesus Christ, and that, that God installed his king, Jesus, on the throne. You know what this means? Here's, here's what it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that it doesn't matter who gets elected in our country. Because it does matter. This doesn't mean that it's okay to be uninformed and uninvolved when it comes to the election. As responsible citizens, 
adults, we should know what's going on. We should understand the issues. We should know what's at stake. I'm simply saying, God is simply saying to 9 or 10-year-old Ben who's freaking out because the radio talk show host, you do not need to fear. You do not need to feel like the whole world is spinning out of control based on what happens in any election. I'm just saying, we don't need to have fear being the primary emotion during the election season. And here's the thing. We see God's perfect control throughout the years of history. I want to give you a couple quick examples for your encouragements because you guys still look scared. I mean, come on. No. About 700 years before Jesus, uh, the nation of Israel, the nation who would someday be the um, family or that Jesus would come from, that nation, um, God had kind of gotten tired of how they continually went away from him, how they continually sort of rejected his direction. And after years and years and years of of warnings to them, um, he did what he had said he would, which is he allowed them to be conquered for a time. Now, in that time frame, God chose... God chose a, what I would call, heathen nation called Babylon and a king named Nebuchadnezzar who had no fear of God or belief in the true God to be his servant. God used a nation, God used people, a king who had no regard for him used him for his plan and purposes. I I love these verses from Jeremiah chapter 25. The Lord Almighty says this to Israel, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Why does God call him my servant? Because Nebuchadnezzar uh, showed his allegiance to God? No, because God was in charge and God can use any nation or any king to accomplish his purposes. And so he calls heathen king Nebuchadnezzar his servant, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and against all surrounding nations. Here's my point. My point is, if God wants something to be done, the one enthroned on the throne of heaven can make it happen regardless, regardless of who's in power. Um, at the very same time, same type of uh, time frame, there was a nation called Assyria. God used Assyria for certain purposes. Uh, here we see from Isaiah, uh, God says about this nation that had no regard for him, I send him, I send Assyria against the godless nation. Like, it sounds like God was in control of things, even though this nation of Assyria um, had no regard for him. It kind of sounds that way because that's what it means. I, God, will dispatch him. Like, they, like, 
my plans are going to happen regardless of who's in control. (laughs) I dispatch him against the people who anger me. We see God in control, the one enthroned in heaven. Let's fast forward about 700 years. Um, It's right before the time that Jesus is born. And the Romans are in control. And there is this this king, uh, you've probably heard of him. His name was Caesar Augustus. You know, Luke chapter 2, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. You know, you can join me. No, we don't need to recite the whole thing. But many of you know it by heart. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You know why Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census to be taken? Because he was a greedy, arrogant, prideful man. And when you know how many people are in your nation, you can not only brag about that, but it also means more taxes. And he wanted to get every single tax dollar that he could. And so Caesar Augustus, and you can read more about him outside of the Bible, was a, a, a powerful, prideful, arrogant, greedy man. And God sees that. And he's like, I can use that. I can use that to accomplish my plans. And because that census was given, it meant that this nine-month pregnant woman named Mary and her fiancé Joseph were forced to travel to Bethlehem where they had a baby named Jesus there, which was just as was prophesied 500 years earlier by the prophet Micah that Bethlehem would be the home or the birthplace of the Savior. Don't read too much into any of these examples. Is he really trying to mean the United States is this? And No, none of that. Here's my point. It's just this. Next fill in the blank. Don't fear God's will is not dependent on an election. Don't fear children of God. God's will is not dependent on election. You know, sometimes the way, the way we can feel or act, it, 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 it's like, okay, God's up in heaven, and he's like, oh, man, November 8th is coming. I really, really hope that Ben votes for the right person, because if he doesn't, then my whole plans are going to be screwed up. Oh, no, Ben, please. No, 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 no. It's good to be informed. It's good to know the issues. It's important to be a responsible citizen. (laughs) But God's will is not dependent on an election. And we need to remember that when fear comes into our hearts, when fear strikes. Now, I want to go back to that Roman Empire that I referenced a few moments ago. Um, Caesar Augustus was kind of uh, a ruler at the beginning of the Roman Empire, Uh, It was an empire that lasted for over a thousand years. And um, in the midst of that rule, especially in those early 200s, 300s, and uh, AD and so forth, um, this was a really, really difficult time to be a Christian. In fact, and I, I don't get into ranking these things, but I think I'd be safe to say that this is, if not the worst, one of the worst types of 
persecutions this world has ever seen. Uh, Almost a a type of genocide going on, not a type it it was, um, where the Roman Empire wanted to rid the world of Christians. And if, if you Google this, Google something about this time frame, you'll see Christians being put to death in, in a whole bunch of horrible ways, uh, whether it, it be being fed to lions or dragged behind chariots, um, starved to death, boiled to death, burnt to death. I mean, just unspeakable, horrible, horrible things. In fact, this, this, was, this was a time frame where a tradition that most of you know well um, came out in this time frame, the, the tradition of a sponsor or a godparent, a baptismal sponsor, because Christian parents recognized that it is very likely that they would not be around to see their children into adulthood because of all, of all that was going on. It's in this time frame that a a writer uh, inspired by God wrote some encouragement to Jewish Christians who were facing some of these persecutions. It's recorded in a book called Hebrews. This is in the New Testament, right around 50 AD or so it was written, maybe a little bit after that. And here's some encouragement he gives to these Christians who were facing uh, this, this difficult time because of the government that they lived in, he, he writes to them, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us, let us continue forward with perseverance in the faith, perseverance in trust, perseverance finding our hope in Jesus. Let's run the race marked out for us. Raise your hand if you've ever run a race. Anyone run a race? Okay, all right. Raise your hand if you ever ran a race where no one in the race knew the route they were supposed to run. That there was no race route marked. Just like I suspected. It's pretty hard to run a race if it's not marked out. And when you run a race, someone beforehand did the work of designing the oval or putting out the flags or whatever it might be. It, it's, like, it, it's like someone ahead of time had things planned out for the race for you to run. That's exactly what God is saying here. Go back again, Dean if we can. Let's run what race? Not a, not a, a race course that is, that is just kind of willy-nilly put together, a race that was marked out for us. Now, the race for the Christians in the years of the Roman Empire was a certain course that, that they had to run. Our course is different the, the, the course that our, our grandchildren will run will be different, but no matter what course it is, A, God's in charge, and B, we need to run with perseverance. Trust. In fact, the writer goes on, and so fix your eyes on Jesus. 
He's the pioneer. This is the, the new NIV translation, uh, the one that, that you're maybe most familiar with. It says, the author and the perfecter of faith, uh, the beginner and the completer of your salvation plan. Keep your eyes on him. For the joy set before him, he endured, Jesus did, the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says, as you run, consider Jesus. As you live, fix your eyes on Jesus. And it's interesting, whenever early Christians were asked to kind of give a testimony about Jesus, you can read all about this in in the New Testament book of Acts. You'll see this come up over and over again. They, when they have a chance, do not talk about Jesus' miracles. Like, there's this time he fed 5,000 men and women and children with, with food, you know, just a little bit of food. Like, they don't talk about that, although it happened. And they don't... They don't focus in on his parables, although they were awesome. He, they don't focus in on his sermons, although I'm sure they were inspiring. Every time they're asked to make a testimony about Jesus, they talk about the cross. He's the one that died, even though he was innocent. He's the one that took on the shame of the cross, even though he didn't deserve it. And they never stop there. And he's the one that I saw alive. He's the one that was resurrected three days later. He's, he's the one that didn't stay dead. Here, the writer says it this way. He's right now at the right hand of God and the right hand of the throne of God. Our next fill in the blank, my friends. Don't fear because Jesus right now sits on the throne of God. Jesus is in a position of power and authority and hope because when he died, death did not win. (laughs) And here's, here's the thing, guys. When the fear of death is defeated, it is then that fear is defeated. When when death can no longer be our end because of what Jesus has done, then death is defeated. There was a a doctor in the um, early parts of the Roman Empire, and and this is written about in some uh, non-biblical historical writings. His name was uh, Galenus, Claudius Galenus. I'm totally botching how you say that, but I'm not Roman, so it's, it's Latin, okay, uh, Latin name. But he was a doctor who um, was often with Christians um, during their last moments on earth, especially in those times where they were killed by the Romans. And he was himself not a Christian. But this is what he wrote about Christians as he saw them time and time again in this moment. Fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them, in Christians, every single day. 
fearlessness of death and hereafter is something that we witness in these Christians every single day. Why? Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Because when death is defeated, fear is defeated. I love the United States of America. I love being a part of this country. As I get older, I think I appreciate it even more. I, I, I've, I've prayed this prayer before. God, why am I so lucky to be born here? I mean, I had no choice in it. Why am I so lucky to have the opportunities that I have here? Why am I so lucky to have the, the Christian freedom that we have here? Why, Lord? Why me? What? This answer is nothing. There's nothing special about you, Ben, but it's just my, my will, my plan. And as, as I, I get older and I have a chance to, to travel across the ocean and spend some time in Israel and other places, and some of you have said the exact same thing, it gives you this renewed appreciation that we so often forget of just how blessed we are to live in the United States of America. I love my American citizenship. And while that's true, my American citizenship that I love is not the citizenship I love the most. Because someday, that citizenship here will end in one of three ways. Either I die, the United States ceases to exist, or Jesus Christ returns. But regardless, someday, I will no longer be a citizen of the United States of America, but because of Jesus Christ, I will always be a citizen of heaven. Paul wrote, but our citizenship is in heaven. And my friends, that citizenship, that, that eternal citizenship is the one that should direct our, our thoughts and our hearts it's where you get your confidence from. That eternal citizenship is the one that I, I love the most. And, and it's the one that I hope when you, you think of our, our country, that the real, the real change is not in any law, right? That doesn't really produce change. I mean, I would love some laws to be changed. I'm sure you would too. The change happens in the heart. When people recognize where their true citizenship comes from. Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of the Hebrews, we don't know if it's Paul. I kind of think it was, but who am I? No, verse 3. Consider him, consider Jesus. Think of Jesus again, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How are you not going to grow weary and lose heart? The writer says, consider Jesus. How are you not going to have fear? Consider Jesus. How are you going to be confident and not lose heart? Consider Jesus. Or how about, again, verse 2, we already looked at these words, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes 
on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus our hope and confidence in him. (laughs) Here's our last fill-in for the day. Be involved in your country, but don't fix your eyes there. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Friends, as the day of this election quickly approaches, it's good to vote. It's good to be involved. That's our right as American citizens. It's wise to understand the issues. And I can't imagine faith not affecting our choices, right? I can't imagine it not being a part of it. It's, it's, it's part of everything. It's part of everything a Christian is, right? I can't imagine it not affecting it. But at the same time, don't fix your eyes on a government. Don't fix your eyes of your heart on a leader. Be involved in your country. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's my November 9th guarantee. That's the day after election. Regardless of who wins, the same king will be enthroned on the most important throne. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you did not just create us and then leave us be, but instead you created us, you protect us, you preserve us, you saved us through your son Jesus. And dear Lord, when we feel those, those feelings of fear pop up, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, your son. Dear Lord, concern, understandable. Fear, sin. <laughs> help us to be mindful of your presence every day. Lord, uh, we pray all this in, in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.